With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Y'all, my friends Howard and Jessica of Plotting Through the Presidents have just started their new season, and you need to go check it out. The first episode is called The John Adams Diet, and... No, before you get any ideas, this ain't a health podcast based on the eating habits of our nation's leaders. It is a deeply researched, albeit humorous, storytelling show that explores the lesser-known tales of the early presidents, the founders, and even their families. From the real reason Alexander Hamilton and John Adams hated each other, to the truth behind Ben Franklin's naughty reputation— They've even covered stuff as wild as the story of John Quincy Adams and the mole people to Winston Churchill's nude White House encounter with the ghost of Abraham Lincoln. And of course, the Bell Witch makes an appearance when they're talking about old hickory. So y'all, go follow Plotting Through the Presidents to plot along with Howard and Jess and check out plodpod.com for links to your favorite podcast app and of course to dive into their past bingeable seasons. That's plodpod.com. On March 20th, 1864, United States Army Generals Ulysses S. Grant and William Sherman met in a hotel room in downtown Cincinnati, Ohio, to devise an aggressive offensive strategy to bring the Confederacy to its knees. The country was over three and a half years into the brutal fighting of the Civil War and over a half a million lives had already been lost. With no end in sight, Northern support for the war was beginning to waver. Political opponents of President Lincoln were demanding negotiated peace with the Confederate states, leaving Lincoln's prospects for re-election dim. And if he were unsuccessful, it would be the end of not only the United States, but the emancipation four million slaves. So in dire need of a military victory, Lincoln took action. And in March of 1864, placed General Ulysses S. Grant in charge of the entirety of the Union armies. Taking Grant's place in the Western Theater was General William Tecumseh Sherman an aggressive commander who Grant trusted greatly. The pair would create an ambitious plan that sent Sherman and his men headfirst into the South to turn the tides of the war through the capture and subsequent destruction of the Confederate stronghold of Atlanta, Georgia. 
but in Sherman's march to destroy what was one of the last lifelines of the Confederacy. Thousands of lives were lost in countless skirmishes and battles, whose aftermath left echoes of death all across this southern state. The remnants of General William Sherman's infamous vow to make Georgia howl. My name is Brandon Schecksneider, and you are listening to Southern Gothic. William Tecumseh Sherman was born in 1820 in Lancaster, Ohio. His father, Charles Robert Sherman, was a prominent attorney and sat on the Ohio Supreme Court. Unfortunately, when William was nine, Charles died unexpectedly, leaving his wife Mary with 11 children and little means to provide for them. So William was sent to live with the nearby family of attorney Thomas Ewing. Ewing was a prominent member of the Whig Party who served as a senator from Ohio, as well as the first secretary of the interior. When William was 16, the influential Ohioan secured his foster son an appointment to the United States Military Academy at West Point. After graduating in 1840, Sherman was given the rank of second lieutenant and assigned to the 3rd U.S. Artillery, seen action in the Second Seminole War before being stationed in both Georgia and South Carolina. His time there gave him great insight to this southern region, which would one day aid him immensely. Then in 1853, after receiving the rank of captain, Sherman resigned from the United States Army He tried his hand banking in San Francisco. Unfortunately, he was unsuccessful. In 1859, Sherman accepted an offer to become the first superintendent of a military academy in Pineville, Louisiana. The institute would later become Louisiana State University. But when the war broke out and Louisiana seceded from the Union, he resigned his position and return to the North and fight for the United States Army once again. By all accounts, Sherman was not in opposition of the Southerners' defense of the institution of slavery. However, he deeply opposed the dissolution of the Union. You people of the South know what you're doing. This country will be drenched in blood and God only knows how it will end. You people speak so lightly of war, you don't know what you're talking about. Sherman was commissioned as a colonel and distinguished himself at the first battle of Bull Run. However, the Union's disastrous defeat caused him to begin questioning his own judgment. He became a nuisance to his superiors 
consistently overestimating Confederate forces and underestimating his supplies to a point of seeming paranoia. Eventually, Sherman was forced to take leave from duty in what many believe was quite possibly a nervous breakdown. The following winter of 1862, after returning to service under the command of General Grant, the two would build a strong relationship throughout the following years, and once Grant was given command of the entirety of the Union forces in 1864, he personally placed Sherman in charge of the Army of Tennessee. The two men then created a plan to attack the Confederacy on all fronts simultaneously, a campaign of constant battle and total war, aimed at ending the conflict as rapidly as possible, sending Grant and his men head first into Richmond and Sherman into Georgia. Protecting the city of Atlanta was an absolute necessity for the Confederacy. Due to its network of Western and Atlantic railroad lines, the city was a strategic hub for men, munitions, and supplies for Southern troops throughout the war. Unfortunately for the Southern Army, Sherman would use this railroad line to his advantage and began traveling down its path from Union-occupied Chattanooga Tennessee, south to Atlanta, utilizing this rail system strategically as a lifeline to get supplies and provisions for his troops as they pressed deeper into the Confederacy. Confederate General Joseph Eggleston Johnston was tasked with protecting this vital city from Sherman's oncoming assault. A West Point graduate just like Sherman, this Virginia native saw combat in the Mexican-American War where he suffered battle wounds and was promoted for his distinguished service. By 1860, Johnston had more than three decades military experience, attained the rank of Brigadier General, and was serving as the Quartermaster General for the United States Army. But when Virginia seceded in 1861, he resigned his commission and accepted a leadership role in the Confederate Army. General Johnston soon helped turn the tides of the First Battle of Bull Run, arriving to the conflict by rail with over 8,000 reinforcements. 387 Confederates lost their lives in the struggle, the Union, 460. Compared to later conflicts, this number of casualties was not particularly high, but the Confederacy's success was critical in proving it to be an admirable force. But now, Johnston was severely outnumbered by Sherman's army, which at the time he entered northern Georgia in May of 1864, boasted 110,000 men to the Confederates' mere 53,800. 
Yet in spite of this advantage and his aggressive nature, Sherman did not take on Johnston's army head first for several months. Instead, he successfully pressed the Confederate troops backward by engaging in a series of small-scale skirmishes, attacks, and maneuvers, outflanking the Southern troops in a dangerous game of cat and mouse, gaining ground along the way. By June 19, 1864, the Union Army had successfully forced the Confederate troops back to the city of Marietta, less than 50 miles from Atlanta itself. Johnston and his men dug in, establishing a line of fortifications between Marietta and Kennesaw, hoping to finally halt the Union's advances. The region's rugged terrain and nine days of heavy rains assisted Johnston's attempts, preventing Sherman from outflanking the Confederates. But on June 27th, General Sherman could wait no longer. After ordering an immense artillery bombardment of the Confederate line, he boldly sent his troops forward, charging up Kennesaw Mountain for a full frontal assault. Two and a half hours of fighting ensued, and the Union lost 3,000 men to the Confederates' 1,000. This was a regretful decision that Sherman later deemed the hardest fight of the campaign to date. However, his decision did not prove to be entirely unsuccessful. In spite of heavy losses along the Confederate line, Union Major General John M. Schofield was able to threaten the Confederate Army's left flank, causing Johnston to withdraw once again. By July 18th, Confederate President Jefferson Davis had grown weary of his general's failing efforts to stop the Federal's advance. So he replaced him with the infamously aggressive Lieutenant General John Bell Hood. Hood quickly made an aggressive attempt to repel the Union Army at Peachtree Creek on July 20th but was brutally defeated with over 2,500 of his men dead. Yet his persistence remained, and on the night of July 21st, the Confederate general sent troops on a 15-mile night march to assault the Union's left flank just east of the city. Despite initial success, his attack failed, and the Confederate losses were a staggering 5,500 men. Even worse, Atlanta now lay under siege by federal troops. And Sherman's orders were simple, complete desolation. The bombardment of Atlanta lasted for five weeks. A military strike like no other American city had ever seen before or since. At its peak on August 9th, the artillery fired about 5,000 shells directly into the city, a horrific experience for the roughly 3,000 civilians who had either decided to stay or were unable to leave. 
during the shelling, these people found shelter wherever they could, in basements or dugouts. But fortunately, the number of civilian casualties was incredibly low, with only about 20 civilian lives lost. Then on August 26th, the shelling stopped. The last remaining supply line into the city had successfully been cut by Union troops. Hood was now forced to make the decision to either retreat or literally be starved out. So on September 1st, General John Bell Hood and his men began their retreat. Audio fiction fans, y'all need to go check out The Sprouting, an eldritch horror of an actual play podcast set in an apocalyptic future where eldritch plants have taken over, magical bargains twist the fabric of reality, and each survivor struggles to trust their own senses as they try to see their goals through to their ends. This podcast features an international cast, original scoring, and immersive sound design. In fact, y'all, here's a quick preview of The Sprouting, available now anywhere you get your podcasts. With your long-forgotten name, we call upon you. We call upon you. In the words of the unspeakable language, we call upon you. We call upon you. By the spilt blood of the wicked who walk upon this world, sprouting the words of false idols, we call upon you. We call upon you. On the land of the dead harvest, that which brings the earth itself into your service, Yamal, we call upon you. We call upon you. We call upon you. We call upon you. Yamal calls upon you. The Sprouting, a Call of Cthulhu actual play podcast by Blighthouse Studio. Find us on your podcatcher of choice. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting? Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Union soldiers entered the city the following day, and General Sherman telegraphed the news to Washington. Atlanta is ours, and fairly won. In 1860, Atlanta's population was nearly 10,000. 
But by the time that Union troops marched into its streets in 1864, only 3,000 remained. Many of the white civilians feared what the occupation meant for their future. But the African Americans who remained celebrated the arrival. In spite of General Sherman's personal views towards slavery, his arrival meant the end of it in the city. Many hailed the general as a conquering hero, divinely sent for the express purpose of not only freeing a race of people, but also to demonstrate God's wrath for the perpetuation of the atrocity. But Sherman saw the residents of Atlanta as a hindrance to his mission. And despite the mayor's protests, between September 11th and September 16th, almost 500 families were evicted from their homes, transported out of the city by the Yankees, then left to fend for themselves. The Union generals then moved into the finer homes of Atlanta. Soldiers made camp in local parks and fields, some even building shanties out of wood stripped from vacant buildings. They remained for two and a half months. During this time, General Sherman made preparations for his next campaign a 250-mile march to Savannah, which would become known as the March to the Sea. However, before leaving the strategic stronghold of Atlanta, it was an absolute necessity that anything and everything that the South could possibly use to further their war effort be destroyed. So on November 11th, the block-by-block demolition plan began. Sherman ordered the destruction of, quote, all depots, car houses, shops, factories, foundries, and similar structures. Mostly by battering rams and brute force, as the general ordered that fire not be used until the very last moment. Some Union soldiers disregarded the command and began to set fire to private residences over the next few nights. But it wasn't until the evening of November 15th, 1864, when the planned torching of the city of Atlanta was executed by Union engineers. The following morning, After two and a half months of occupation, Sherman's army marched out of Atlanta with thick black clouds of smoke still rising behind them. Forty percent of Atlanta had been destroyed, and as Sherman marched on to Savannah, the Confederacy was powerless to stop him. Almost as soon as the smoke had cleared, the ghost stories began. And with destruction having spread so far and wide, there are now hundreds upon hundreds of documented cases of supposed hauntings directly linked to the devastation wrought 
during those months of the Atlanta campaign. 37,000 Union and 32,000 Confederate soldiers were either killed, wounded, or missing during those four months. The fighting that occurred on Kennesaw Mountain was some of the most desperate of the campaign. And the exact location for the Union troops' frontal assault was aptly named the Dead Angle. Captain James Hall of the 9th Tennessee Infantry wrote, After the enemy had retired and we could survey the ground in our front, which they had just occupied, a frightful and disgusting scene of death and destruction was presented to our view. During all of the four years of the war, I do not remember ever to have seen the ground so completely strewn with dead bodies. Today, reports of the apparitions of soldiers marching in these once bloody fields are commonplace. Visitors to the site of the dead angle since named Cheatham Hill, after Confederate General Benjamin Cheatham, have even claimed the occurrence of the sounds of gunfire and cannon blasts echoing in the distance, and the strong smell of blood, sweat, and gunpowder wafting through the air. The odor is frequently accompanied by an eerie haze enveloping the earthworks that were once the Confederate line. Similar stories have been told about other locations on Kennesaw Mountain, but the legends also extend into the city of Kennesaw itself. It's been reported that the disembodied sounds of Sherman's army continue to pass through Main Street on hot summer nights. The ghostly sounds of cavalry horses clattering, infantry marching, and artillery firing all heard as clear as day until eventually fading away into the distance. In nearby Marietta, the now famous Kennesaw House still stands. Prior to the capture and subsequent destruction of Atlanta, General Sherman personally utilized the building as a temporary headquarters. It would then become a hospital for wounded Union soldiers, as well as a morgue, till it fell victim to the infamous blaze. The building was reconstructed after the war and used as a hotel for years. Today, the Kennesaw House, which is home to the Marietta Museum of History, is also purportedly home to over a hundred spirits the most notable of which is the apparition of a Civil War-era surgeon. But as for the city of Atlanta itself, unlike many other southern cities that once served as battlefields during the Civil War, it has made little effort to preserve these historic locations, allowing many of these sites to be developed over time 
As a result, apparitions of Civil War soldiers have been reported in some of the most anachronistic environments, from apartments to restaurants, movie theaters, and even the local television station. But one of the most legendary haunted locations in the city of Atlanta is the Oakland Cemetery, where almost 4,000 unknown Confederate soldiers were laid to rest, often reinterred from battlefields all across Georgia. The city purchased the cemetery's land prior to the war, unaware that almost two centuries later, it would quite possibly be the most haunted place in the city. Reports began as early as 1933, mostly claims of the apparition of Confederate soldiers. But the most prominent tale of Oakland Cemetery is the Confederate roll call. Visitors have frequently claimed to hear the names of soldiers called out from nothing, executed in a military fashion as if a general is still taking muster almost two centuries later. General William T. Sherman once proclaimed, I would make this war as severe as possible and show no symptoms of tiring till the South begs for mercy. Nowhere was the strategy of total war more apparent than in the devastation brought to Georgia. But fortunately, the network of rail lines that had made Atlanta such a strategic wartime city would also help fuel the city's rebirth once the war had come to an end. During Reconstruction, investors flocked to the city for its modern economy, spurring unprecedented growth at the dawn of the 20th century. Atlanta literally rose from the ashes of the Confederacy and is now an immense metropolitan area. Still, General Sherman's brutal legacy remains, almost two centuries later, through the stories of his cutthroat strategy and the continued hauntings by those who lost their lives as he kept his promise to make Georgia howl. My name is Brandon Schecksneider, and you've been listening to Southern Gothic. Southern Gothic is an independently produced podcast created by siblings Brianne and Brandon Schecksneider with the support of listeners like you. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to receive even more content, including ad-free episodes, head over to our Patreon page today. The link is in the show notes. Lucky Lady Shacks. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Y'all, my friends Howard and Jessica of Plotting Through the Presidents have just started their new season, and you need to go check it out. The first episode is called The John Adams Diet. And no, before you get any ideas, this ain't a health podcast based on the eating habits of our nation's leaders. It is a deeply researched, albeit humorous, storytelling show that explores the lesser-known tales of the early presidents, the founders, and even their families. From the real reason Alexander Hamilton and John Adams hated each other, to the truth behind Ben Franklin's naughty reputation— They've even covered stuff as wild as the story of John Quincy Adams and the Mole People to Winston Churchill's nude White House encounter with the ghost of Abraham Lincoln. And of course, the Bell Witch makes an appearance when they're talking about old hickory. So y'all, go follow Plotting Through the Presidents to plot along with Howard and Jess and check out plodpod.com for links to your favorite podcast app and of course to dive into their past bingeable seasons. That's plodpod.com.